Hey there, welcome to the Confident Communications Podcast, a podcast that reveals the best practices to help leaders become indestructible in today's digital age and crisis-proof their organizations. So whether you work for a corporation, a for-profit, not-for-profit, the government, education, all you entrepreneurs out there, we all need to feel more confident in our writing, speaking, body language, social media, interpersonal and public communications. So my mission is to help people be heard, seen, and relevant in the modern age of communications. And today's focus is on organizational communications. My guest is Diana Peterson Moore. She has been a practicing employment lawyer, a corporate manager, a director, executive officer, and she has worked with a number of organizations and big ones too, well-known ones, as in HR, also in the legal space, And she is now a sought-after consultant and guest presenter and today's guest. She is sharing her thoughts on how we can all be better communicators in turbulent times. She provides a lot of valuable advice for the office, which is what we intended for the interview. But throughout the discussion, we applied the rules to our personal lives. So that was unintended. But of course, it was just as valuable. So take a listen. Diana, thank you so much well, for joining me. Good morning, Molly, and thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to participate. Well, the reason what drew me to you was the title of your book and the subject matter. So it's Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times, a Practical Guide to Leadership. And you have this great image of a rolling wave on the top. So tell me the idea behind the book and where that metaphor of the wave comes from. Absolutely, and thanks for asking. As you articulated, there's two pieces to the title, the latter being a practical guide to leadership. And that's to underscore that my book is really a compilation of everything I've learned over a very lengthy career and has stories. I realize that adults, children, but adults, we learn through stories by others. The first piece, consequential communication in turbulent times, um, really, I think, focuses both on what's going on in society as well as how it's reflected in the workplace. Uh, The wave really speaks to natural phenomenon, one might say disasters, because we're having an increase in those as well, be they hurricanes, fires, tornadoes. So it's a compilation of where we are today, how it's reflected in the workplace, and then what are very practical, easy to implement steps to turn it around. Yeah, and and just looking at your bio, uh, we do intersect in a a number of places. And one, when I saw the wave, just with my work with FEMA Mm -hmm. and working on hurricanes and natural disasters, but also you worked uh, in uh, the media as an industry. Correct. And you were there when there was a pretty solid oh, glass absolutely. ceiling, correct? Um, I was a practicing employment lawyer and I was recruited in-house to a, a utility, which is largely dominated by men who are also engineers. And this is another place, by the way, Diana, where we intersect because I work with utilities as well. So we're, we're speaking, we're speaking with the same language Then I here. moved to a large media company that was also male dominated. I went 
um, when I was at the mm -hmm. utility company, I fond of saying I made a meteoric rise to the glass ceiling. I had several positions fairly quickly and was elected corporate secretary at the age of 38. There were 18 officers, 17 men and me. And after a couple of years, when I realized that what saying to my soul was how to motivate people, how to get people to be productive, I wanted to be in human resources. So I took a lateral to a large media company and that's what I did. Thereafter, I went from one of 18 in a company of 18,000 employees to one of eight in a company of 56,000 employees. I realized that it was time for me to take the lessons learned and to share with others. So I became a consultant. Well, in the time of this uh, recording that you and I are speaking, I, I noted we're right in the week of a new story of GM workers who are striking. And what is striking about this story is here we have the first uh, chair and CEO of a major automaker who is a female. So give me your thoughts on what's happening at GM in terms of a leadership perspective. Also, based Thank on you for your asking that experience. question, please note that I am not an expert per se. My information is really from the media, but kind of my 40,000 foot view is that sadly, we have a woman CEO that is displaying male leadership characteristics far more than female leadership characteristics. And by that, I mean, um, my observation over time and working with several others is that men tend to be focused on the tyranny of quarterly earnings and the bottom line. Uh, women are focused on the bottom mm -hmm. line as well. However, the method by which they get there is through motivating employees. It's through delivering what employees want. Um, I don't think one has to be a rocket scientist or Albert Einstein, whatever ever phrase you use, to recognize that motivated, valued employees are far more productive and are willing to give what it takes to meet that bottom line goal. So for me, it's um, mm -hmm. my observation is that Mary Barra has an opportunity to exhibit more female leadership characteristics. And right now what I'm seeing is what I would call more male leadership characteristics. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I, I too, am just a, a media observer just from reading the stories and following it online. And what I'm noting that, you know, picketers, you know, people that used to picket a line 20 years ago is much different than it is today because they are still standing out front and they're, they're picketing when they're walking out. But there's almost the sense of e-picketing yes. as well where they're also heard on social media. And that is where maybe a like a female leader might be more inclined to be more empathetic publicly and see that part of it. And I just know in my experience is when people feel like they're not being heard, that's what breeds yes. anger and contempt. And maybe that is more of that female driven communication that she, and this is my opinion, that either she lacks right now, or perhaps she feels that she needs to do it, but she's under so much pressure that she can't. So it makes it, it makes you wonder if you had to be a fly on the wall. In that building right now, GM, yeah. what they're talking you know, about. I mean, what to me, doing. it kind of gets back to that ultimate question, do the ends justify the means? I mean, a lot of people get into leadership roles and they feel like um, ultimately what they want to do is great, marvelous, wonderful, and good for all. So they take a few shortcuts on the way there. Um, my own 
personal ethical standards really forbade me from doing that, which is why after I left the large media company, I decided that the what I would say obsequious or uh, brown nosing behavior I saw in many of my male colleagues, it just wasn't something I could do any do, period. I never did it. I was going to say any longer, but I never really did it. Miraculously, I rose even without doing that. Um, but I realized that that I might be called upon to do that again, which is why I made the decision to shift from, frankly, a very well-paying corporate uh, environment to a consultant who over time has done well, but certainly struggled at the beginning. Right. And this and this formula of time plus experience gives us perspective. And I'm the same way. I mean, my brain is crystallized back in time in the 90s of what it was like working in a male-dominated field and how as a female, I had to navigate yeah. it much differently. And I haven't lost that. And that is definitely yeah. in my work today, is that idea of the interplay of the communications. Now, let's talk about um, some of the subjects that you bring up in your book. And the ones that that really stood out to me. The first one is you talk about the platinum rule of communication. So explain yes, what that is. I'm happy to, and thanks for asking. Uh, to me, and this is an obvious reference to the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, to me, the golden rule of communication is Diana communicates with Molly the way Diana wants to be communicated with, which is kind of cool because it's well-meaning and good intention. However, Ultimately, it's far more productive if Diana communicates with Molly the way Molly wants to be communicated with. Um, I'm somebody who's verbal. I was, this used to bug me, especially in law school, I had to be in class every day to listen to what the professor was saying. And there were several students who never showed up, read the book, and aced the exam. I wasn't that way. But there are people who get their information from reading, from contemplating, from self-reflection. There's some people who take in information that has to be verbal and then followed up in writing. Others take in information. And I liken it to a French horn and a trumpet in my book. You know, the French horn um, is a large circular instrument and the air goes around and around and around. And then the music comes out where with the trumpet, it's lips to breast to music. I'm a trumpet, and um, but I'm communicating with a lot of French horns, so I need to adapt my communication style. That's really what it's all about. Now, why does someone, you seem to be leaning on the side of someone having to flex for uh -huh. someone else's style. Now, when you talk about communication, are we just referring to interpersonal communication, not how we communicate, you know, whether it's it's email or texting? Is it just no, it's all forms of communication. Um, I happen to focus on verbal because I tend to be verbal, but I have realized over time mm -hmm. that I might have a verbal conversation with somebody and I can see, you know, as a trained facilitator, you can kind of see the whites in their eyes. Are they understanding it? Um, so I might say the same thing a couple of times and I'll say it another way. Then I'll ask, then I'll say, geez, I'm even confusing myself. Who wants to? tell me what they think I'm trying to say. Or I might say, you know what, I'm not 100% sure I was clear. Could you go back to your office and send me an email or a text message? Um, so it happens in multiple okay. Okay. ways of communication. Now, what about you had mentioned in a text or an email, 
What if you are working with someone who is in a place and time where they prefer handwritten mm-hmm. letters or even faxes or even, or an email? Are you saying that in order to get the job done or to, uh, to achieve a goal that you have to bend even to their communication style, even if it's typing out a letter to get a hold of them? Or should they be well, giving a little I think on this it really age? depends upon what's the goal. The goal of communication is really to be understood. And in the workplace, it's usually to get someone to do something that you want them to do. To me, if you're the boss, it's incumbent right. upon you to flex and to be flexible. Um, I would say that about everybody. Uh, it doesn't usually happen. Usually the boss, everyone has to uh, flex his or her style to meet the needs of the boss. But you know, to me, it's about being strategic. What's the goal you're trying to accomplish here? And if the goal is to get someone to understand what you're saying and to get them to take action, to me, I try to follow the platinum rule. Now, mind you, when you asked about personal, I have three children, um, each of whom has said at one time or another, mom, you're just talking to us like your book. And I say, well, I try to practice what I preach. Um, (laughs) But I can tell you that in my consultancy and in the workplace, um, I do that. You know, it's not it's not a big ethical dilemma mm-hmm. for me. Uh, personally, I have to veer away from handwritten letters because my handwriting is so bad. But I type things up. I fax things. I email. I text. Um, all of the above. Now, I noticed reading your book, uh, at least my mind would go from workplace situations to personal situations. And you had mentioned how you communicate mm-hmm. with your kids. Like I knew I had to flex with my kids. So I have to mm-hmm. do a group chat on a text because I know that's just, mm-hmm. the, I know they'll see it because they're always on their phone anyway. So that's yeah. kind of bending to them. The next area in, in your book that resonated to me more on a personal side, as opposed to professional, were the I statements that you talked about in the, when you talked about an I yes. compared to a you statement. Okay. Cause I think many of us have people in our lives who speak to us in statements that start with a lot of you, you know, you did this, you are that. And the recipient is spring loaded to get very annoyed when people do that. So could you explain the difference or the importance and the difference? Molly, you articulated it you? absolutely the way I would. When someone says to me, you don't understand, I try to exhibit calmness on my face, but boy, that gets my hackles up. And I often say, you know what? I can tell you what I understand. I'm the best person to tell you what I understand. Don't tell me what I understand. Tell me what you understand. Um, I happen to have a longstanding friendship with somebody who is really on the brink of falling away because I was told I misunderstood something. And um, I said, no, I kind of understood what you said. And this person's having a very difficult time apologizing. And I think it's very sad. However, I'm at a point in my own life that um, I feel pretty strongly about that. So I think it's important to accept responsibility for yourself, because after all, the only person we are responsible for is ourselves, what we think, what we say, how we communicate, Mm -hmm. how we treat others, and to use I statements. Can I ask this, Diana? Can I just go back to that one personal story? Because as as you said it, I'm sure anyone listening has Mm -hmm. that one person where you get to a certain age and you think, is this really worth all the effort? that I'm putting into this relationship right now. Now, in that instance, did it come down to someone who was more of a 
you know, more of a you, 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 you did this and you knew they were never going to change. So you're deciding that you might pull back a little. Was it about the language? You know, it's an excellent question. In this particular case, it's a longstanding friendship, which over time I was aware that I was giving more and it wasn't very equal. It's now gotten to a stage where the person is um, uh, pretty needy and and unwilling to recognize that other people, and in this instance, me, have my own needs. And so it's kind of a balance. So it's part, it's partly the accusatory nature of you statements, because personally, that's how I perceive them. Um, and it's mm-hmm. also just my understanding that I really want to have relationships that are far more mutual, where the give and take, it's never going to be 100% equal. Um, but where there are times right, when I'm right. giving more and times when I'm receiving more, et cetera. Yeah. And it's good. It sounds like I'm hearing kind of take a breath and instead of reflexively starting a sentence with you, perhaps starting yeah. it with I is going to lead to a better, a better and, dialogue. And taking that to person. the workplace. Let's say I'm the supervisor, boss, whatever. and I. Uh, ask Molly to do something and Molly does it delivers because she wants to deliver she wants to please me but it's not what I asked for instead of my saying you didn't understand which is going to be upsetting and also disregard your contribution my comment is oh I'm so sorry I guess I miscommunicated what I was looking for was x y and z so what I typically do in the workplace and, and consult, because I consult with a lot of people, and boy, if I don't deliver what they want, they can fire me on the spot and hire somebody else. I will often have a chat with them and say, I think this is what I heard you say, blah, blah, blah. And they will either say yes, no, or mm-hmm. maybe. But it's far more important that I understand and deliver what they want, because if I don't, again, I'm fired immediately. Uh, Same thing in the workplace. So what I might do is I might say, Molly, I'd really like you to provide me three options for changing the compensation system. And then I might say, you know, I'm not I know what I'm thinking. Could you go back to your office and send me an email kind of with the broad strokes of what you might do? And we'll have a conversation. And then there's a give and take conversation, because my goal is for you to to deliver three alternative compensation systems. My goal is not that you fail. Um, so I think a lot of it's in the right. approach, it's in the understanding, it's in the confirmation. And there is a delicate uh, navigation there, too, because if you state, I don't think you heard me correctly, it could border on passive mm-hmm. aggression, which which we hear a lot. But if you have a if you genuinely put the onus back on you and, and yeah. reframe it, rework it. To help I, the yeah, other I really person. It's, banish it's more you. My comment would be, I'm sorry, I guess I wasn't clear. Let me try it this way. Whether in my head I was clear as a bell or not, it doesn't matter because the goal because the goal is for me to get Molly to do three alternative compensation systems. And if I don't get them, it doesn't matter who said what. Um, and my goal is not to yeah, anger you. True. My goal is to get you to be productive. And boy, oh boy, employees right. love it when bosses accept responsibility. And, you know, let's face it. It's not if we make mistakes, because we all make mistakes. And repeatedly throughout the day, sometimes it's not if you make a mistake, it's how you handle it. 
Right. And kids do too. Children oh, like yeah. hearing that from parents that they've made a mistake as well. I know that goes a long way. Now, just quickly on the, staying on the I statement and the you statement for a moment in your book, you discuss media interviews. Yes. So how can, how can the you and the I You know, it's really interesting. When I was writing the book, I, I'm kind of a news junkie. I'm a political junkie is the truth of it. And so I listened to various news shows. And I noticed that um, I was listening to one one day, and it happened to have been a female who was uh, the interviewer. And she asked very specific questions. And of course, as often as the game is played frequently, the um, political person was not answering the question. He was saying what he wanted to say. And she just said, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't hear you answer the question. And that was very powerful. Equally, Mm -hmm. uh, that same day, I was watching another news show, and there was a man who was saying, no, 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 what you need to understand is X, Y, and Z. And of course, in my head, I'm saying, don't tell me what I need to understand. I know what I need to understand. And it was just a difference. It happened to have been male, female that day, but this female person, now that she has her sea legs under her, I've noticed she's become far more aggressive in the way she asks questions. And I wonder, gee, was someone advising her to do that? Is she trying to model her behavior after her male colleagues? Um, It's just interesting to me because it was far more effective when she said, I didn't hear you, in my mind, I didn't hear you answer the question. Poor Diana, perhaps she read your book, (laughs) Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times. Who knows, I sent it to her, but who knows? (laughs) <laughs> oh, did you? Okay, but it, but she, but she, but I think this is so clear, and it happens for so many of us. Is you have that moment where you shift your language, and you notice yeah. that it works. And so perhaps she noticed and watched it on replay, and say, "Oh, I'm going to try this tact." I know I do. I know I've changed my communication yeah. style dramatically in the past two years because I know what's more effective and what doesn't work. Now, moving on to your next. Your next rule, which I which I liked, it's the idea of the two for one rule. Could you explain yeah, what that is? I think means? when giving feedback to individuals, and I think again about myself, but others I've worked with, we're far less defensive, far more receptive if we feel comfortable and relaxed and we hear the good stuff first. So it's two positives for every ah shucks or every negative. So and I'm, I did this in the workplace where I asked somebody to write a memo about a topic. And I had a kind of a format, which was, what's the issue? What are the alternatives that you um, considered? What's your recommendation and why? And so the person delivered the memo. In fact, a day before it was due, the person followed the format. I was really kind of surprised at the conclusion that the person came up with. So I said, gee, I really want to thank you and compliment you for getting this in a day early. That was really important. It allows me more time to take a look at it. And I like the fact that you followed our new format. I was a little puzzled by the conclusion. Tell me how you got there. And then the person was talking again. Whereas if I'd said, oh, this is all wrong. How did you, you know, what made you think that this was the right conclusion? And I got to understand what the person was thinking. And then I was able to say, oh, okay, did you consider this? Did you consider that? And in the course of the conversation, the person kind of came around to a different point of view. And I said, now I'm really glad you got this to me a day early because I'd like you to go back and work on it again. And the person did. So it's kind of two positives for every Mm -hmm. ah shucks. And um, the power in that, I guess the other power is I 
I do a lot of executive coaching and I always start with some form of a 360. And one of the questions is on communication. And the typical response is, I always know when I screw up, I never know when I do well. And of course, nobody likes to know when they screw up. So I said to the person who happened to have been a man, and by the way, when I started coaching, I thought I'd be working with far more females. Au contraire, I work with far more males. And I said to him, don't be phony and don't be fake because people can smell a rat a mile away. But I said, surely in the course of the week, there's someone you can thank for having done something for you. And there's somebody you can give an attaboy or an attagirl to. Obviously not that phrase, but you can compliment. Mm -hmm. And I said, do it. Well, this guy turned it around so completely. And this happened to have been an entertainment company, which by the way, there are many in Southern California and they're not always the friendliest, nicest place to work. All of a sudden, people were clamoring to come work for him because he knew that they would get positive feedback. But the most important aspect of that, and I call it redefining success, it caused him to look for opportunities to be positive as opposed to negative. Oh, that's good. So yeah. he needed to make a mind shift on just the idea of, of speaking up and giving someone positive feedback. You know, feedback, I, I do a workshop mm -hmm. as well on feedback. and. And it's, again, mm -hmm. mostly men. And it's mostly men that are not accustomed to being told what they did, uh, what they did incorrectly <laughs> or how they may be able to change. So, again, when I spoke about delicate, you know, paths to get mm -hmm. to an endpoint. But the way I look at feedback, um, just even for myself, because you had mentioned this in your book as well. The term constructive criticism, an oxymoron, no one hears that word and say, oh, this will be fine then now that you, you right. softened it a little with constructive. No one likes that. But I find um, I've swapped the word feedback for mm. complaints. Like I have a complaint. I have a gripe. I have a bitch, whatever it is. I will use the word feedback instead because I'm framing it as I'm going to give you information that's going to yeah. help you not not criti not criticize you. So it just in this world of reviews and business owners and now a lot of and I think a lot of these uh people that I get in my workshops they're not used to this idea of wait a minute on social media people can give feedback about what we do and they can gripe about what yeah. we do. It's so new to them. But if you but if you look at it from the lens of feedback, I yes, think it's just absolutely. easier to digest. Absolutely. They? And I I chuckle a little bit because I think you're right. Often it's the men giving the so-called constructive feedback, which clearly in my mind is an oxymoron, and they've never received it. And as they're starting to receive it now, hopefully it will cause them to rethink how they deliver information to other people. And again, to me, it's always about what are you trying, right. what's your ultimate goal? Is your ultimate goal to berate somebody? Because if that's it, that is a big disincentive. If your ultimate goal is to get them to be productive, they're gonna listen to you if you are positive and if they trust you and if they know you have their best interest at heart, Mary Barra, I hope you're listening. <laughs> I hope she is too. Okay. The two for one rule. Let's talk about timing. Does that make a difference in the rule? How you give your two oh, for yeah. one Oh yeah. And thank you for asking about that. Um, many of us, and I call it the lizard brain. I mean, let's face it. We all came from whatever creatures we came from. Um, we often have this, you know, speak first, think second. And especially when it comes to something that's negative, it's kind of the, just get it out there. I think, um, and someone, by the way, a lot of this, again, is stuff I learned over time. I made a lot of mistakes. 
I learn from those mistakes and hopefully I share them with others so they won't make those mistakes. I was told about the 15 second pause. You know, before you respond, think for 15 mm -hmm. seconds. It then became the in the cool of the evening. So it's, um, you know, in a long ago sitcom all in the family, Archie Bunker used to say to his wife, stifle. And for me, I have to say that to myself. So yeah. sometimes something will happen. I can tell I have a physical reaction and I know I'm upset. And I just say, cool your jets, Diana, stifle. You can always say something later. You can always say, you know, yesterday right. I was really upset and let me tell you why, which is far more powerful than flying off the handle because you can be easily dismissed. So I think timing is very critical and also place. I mean, the old adage is praise in public, a discipline in private. Uh, all of us, including yours truly, have made the mistake of in front of other people dressing someone down, which is a big, 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 as we would say, bozo no-no. Um, but again, one apologizes. I, I found myself in the situation of saying, you know, yesterday I flew off the handle and I apologize. I will do my best not to do it again. Uh, power of apology, which, um, you know, a lot of people, yes. I don't know why. I don't know what this issue is in our society or maybe it's the human condition where we have a really difficult time um, admitting we made a mistake. But yeah. Oh, God, isn't that the truth? There are definitely people in my life that struggle with saying sorry, or if they say it, they'll say yeah. it for the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you know, I was just in a personal like situation thing. I was talking about. I finally get an email from this friend of mine who said, um, I regret having made the statement. And I'm thinking to myself, BS, you only regret it because it caused me not to deliver what you wanted. So I said, that's a good start. What's your next right. sentence? And the last email I got was, that's my final statement. And I just wrote back and I said, you know, I'm really sorry that um, our friendship means so little. And again, I didn't say you. There was an implied you in there. I just said, I'm just really sorry, because I am, that our uh, that our longstanding friendship means so little. And that was it. And we'll wait and see. Hey, Diana, I think it's time to uh, ditch that friendship. Yes. I don't know. It just sounds like it. <laughs> Thank you, Molly. It seems like a lot more work to do that. <laughs> I grant thee the permission to take it. Oh, so Diana, so these are these are great tips. You have such good tips, um, you know, not just from researching your book, but also your years of experience. We're going to wrap up um, the interview portion, and I highly encourage anyone, um, you know, listening to the podcast to definitely check out the book, Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times, A Practical Guide to Leadership. And, and I use the term leadership a lot. And when I speak to leadership, it's not just someone sitting at the top or someone in, you know, someone in the C-suite. Oh, it's yeah. small business owners. It's, it's a, it's a director. It's someone running, um, you know, volunteer, running a volunteer group. It could be, you know, someone running a family. It doesn't matter. You know, we all lead in different areas and Absolutely. we all need help in communications. Now, Let's let's end it here. You have such you have such wise counsel. Sure. I want to end with some tips. And I'm wondering if you could give me like your top three workplace communication tips. So workplace or life. But what are the top tips that you could share with someone to help in Absolutely. communications with first, other people? And, and the overarching issue is really thinking about others before you think about yourself. I'd say first be strategic. What's the goal of the communication? Are you trying to get someone to do something? What is it? And then subsidiary, what's the best way to communicate with them, which is the platinum rule over the um, golden rule. 
Um, I also think actually the questions we discussed today, the importance of using I statements, the importance of owning your own statements and taking responsibility for your own feelings and allowing other people to accept responsibility for theirs. And then last, very briefly, in this day and age of, you know, communication at the speed of life via the internet and at our little thumbs, our fingertips, I just see too many people feeling like their communication online is anonymous and they just get stuff off their chest. And the old adage used to be never say anything in writing that you wouldn't want published on the front page of, you know, the New York Times, the LA Times, whatever your local newspaper is. Um, and sometimes things that could be handled face to face, people hide behind, again, the seeming security and anonymity of online communication. And they say hurtful, even fighting words. Um, and sadly, I think that we've seen an uptick in violence because of stuff that's on the Internet. So I would my last piece mm -hmm. would really be, you know, think first, communicate second. And if you're unsure, have somebody else read it and tell you what they thought the communication was. And that allows you, I do that. If I'm really ticked off at somebody, I put together an email and I have two or three people and I say, this is what I'm thinking of saying. And I accept their feedback because I know they have my best interest at heart. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. That last tip is an excellent one because it happened to me oh, about really? an hour ago. And I was, ha yeah, I was having a conversation with someone and she's, uh, she's a, a, a business owner and she was reading an email to me that just got under her skin. And she was so annoyed by the tone of this woman in the email. And when I read it, I said, I I'm going to have to tell you, I'm just going to give you my feedback on this at all. I don't think she's saying that at all. I think she just wants to know, you know, A, B and C. And she said, oh, my mm -hmm. gosh, I never thought about it that way. And so when you take out the personality, the person behind the email, yeah, people will look at it much differently. And so when you summed up your your tips, you were really summarizing mm -hmm. our talk today and the importance of I like the idea of the platinum rule of communication. It's almost like meeting someone halfway or meeting mm -hmm. them where they are to help in that communication the I statements versus the you statements are so valuable and so helpful. I mean, talk about you want to if you want to diffuse a situation quickly, just look for yeah. the I words <laughs> and the you words. And, and and then the idea of feedback and how in and how important it is to accept it. And especially in this day and age where more people, especially younger people, feel more comfortable mm -hmm. giving their feedback and older generations, you know, bristle, you know, at hearing it, but really because of where we all are now with social media, it's kind of changed how we communicate and share that feedback, the importance of it. So Di Diana, anything else that you'd like to add as we head off for communicating? I would in say one times? last piece that somebody um, said that I think many of us, including me, need to follow and it's the adage, be brief, be brilliant, be gone. Uh, sometimes we just go on and on and on and on and on. And sometimes something shorter, sweeter, crisper that might take longer to develop has more impact than droning on. 
what a perfect ending to the interview. <laughs> we will be gone. But before we are gone, Diana Peterson Moore, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I feel like over lunch, we could have had a very long lunch talking about our careers and what we learned from the past and how you and I could probably put on a very dynamic workshop together. But I love your topic and your book again, Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times, A Practical Guide to Leadership. And Diana, I do want to share with my listeners that you do have a website, dianapetersonmore.com. You can just Google her name and you'll be able to find it. Or you can write in Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times because you have a very active blog on there as well. You do a lot of writing about, about yes, your work. I try to do weekly correct? blogs and I've been fortunate that my blogs have been picked up by Smart Brief and Lead Change and uh, David Grossman's Weekly Roundup. So yes, I write in Oh, that's, that's wonderful. And that shows that blogs are not dead. I mean, that people are still reading a lot of blogs. So I like to hear that. Well, Diana, thank you so much for sharing, uh, just sharing your wisdom and your thoughts on communications, especially in turbulent times. Well, thank you for having me as your guest. I had a great time. I want to thank Diana Peterson Moore for sharing her wealth of knowledge about how consequential communication in turbulent times can impact all of us in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well. You can find a link to her book, Consequential Communication in Turbulent Times, a practical guide to leadership in the podcast show notes. Now, if some of these stories hit a little close to home and you might feel like you need to brush up on some of your communication skills, why don't you go ahead and download my Rookie Mistakes Seasoned Business Leaders Make by texting 345-345. So you can pull out your phone and text 345-345 to get the free download. You'll get a link to Rookie Mistakes Seasoned Business Leaders Make. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Now go out and be confident communicators. Mm-hmm.